This episode is brought to you by AudioQuest, makers of the mythical series Analog Interconnects. Click the link in the show notes for more information. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Darko Audio Podcast. That time of the month has rolled around again, where we are joined by the always happy and smiley Michael Lavonia. <laughs> that's me. You know, that's really, that's my nickname. If You know, for most people who don't know, they call me Mr. Happy, yeah? I'm sure they do, Michael. <laughs> sure they do. Okay, so... T- Today, in this episode, we're going to talk about a few things. We're going to talk about some news items, as we tend to do in these podcasts nowadays. We're also going to cover three controversial words, and those words are not master quality authenticated. They are made in China. And we're going to talk about the the age-old question that seems to come up like almost every six months nowadays, but we can tackle it again. Um, the, The old question of why are there no negative reviews and this has just been revived by steve gutenberg and her breaker in a video yesterday but michael i know you and i have some i I don't think our thoughts are entirely aligned on this topic okay but which i think is going to make it interesting yeah and then you're also going to talk about some high-end phono stages that you've reviewed recently Uh, yeah and i'm going to crap on about i guess some some things I discovered from doing my job slightly differently whilst I was in Portugal for the first, essentially the first quarter of this year. And yeah, what I really found out. So a bit of, bit of navel gazing, really, if people will tolerate that. But let's start with some news. Um, do you want to kick us off, Michael, with something new? Yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> so one of the photo stages I reviewed, I'll start there, is from a Japanese company called Aurora. I'm sorry. Aurora sound. Mm-hmm. It is hard for me to do that. <laughs> Aurora sound. Um, is that because you're smiling so much right now? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. It kind of contorts yeah. your mouth in the wrong direction. Like, <laughs> you can't smile and say Aurora sound at the same time. You have to be angry. <laughs> um, and they've just released uh, an integrated amplifier that uses a quad of EL84's uh, push pull. Mm hmm. And I've had, I've owned, I still own an EL84 based amp and I've listened to a whole bunch. And I commented in the news story, I've never heard an EL84 based amp I didn't like. And there's this real sweet quality to an EL84 amp, Hmm. at least the ones that I've heard. Um, So I'm kind of excited about this product. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's a straight, it's pretty much straightforward integrated amp. Although it does use an op amp as a driver stage, okay, not tubes, and also it's a, a silicone diode uh, rectifier. So the only tubes in here are the output tubes, um, which I think helps account for its price of three thousand six hundred and eighty dollars mm-hmm. U.S. retail. Aurora Sound. Um, the phono stage I reviewed is wrapped in a uh, a very nice wood chassis. This just has two kind of woody side, pa- not even side panels. Uh, the company refers to them as fenders, which I think is appropriate <laughs> if you see them. That's pieces of uh, mahogany on either side of the uh, faceplate. Hmm. 
I like it. It's, I mean, it suits my, my taste just fine. You know, that retro look. So in addition to just being a straightforward integrated, it does have headphone out. It has tone controls, uh, which you can bypass with the flick of a toggle switch on the front. Um, no remote control. So for those uh, sofa challenge, <laughs> you know, you do have to get up and down. Anyway, I think mm-hmm. it's interesting. I like the price point. And I like the look. And I was very impressed with the uh, Vita Prima phono stage of theirs uh, I reviewed as part of this uh, phono stage survey. So I okay. did. Yeah, right. Okay, cool. All right. Well, I'm going to give you my first slice of news. And it's really an everything and nothing story, right? So. It's to do with Autophon, Danish uh, cartridge manufacturer. And I think many vinylistas will be aware of their 2M range of cartridges. So you've got the 2M red, 2M blue, 2M bronze, 2M black. There are a couple of others above the 2M black. And I think there's even a 2M silver as well, but I'm not sure about that. But there's just a lot of 2M cartridges. They're very popular at the entry level. You often see the 2M red spec on project turntables. I think the 2M red was on the SL1500C from Technics. Notice I'm saying Technics, Michael, mm. and not Techniques. Um, <laughs> just thought I had to pull you up on that there. Uh, <laughs> so you see the 2M series of cartridges around a lot. Now, from my point of view, I, I really like them. But whenever, and I actually had to do this about a year and a half ago, I've got a 2M black and I wanted to basically move it from one turntable to the other. Now, I don't trust myself to do a good job. And Mm. if I do, it's just, it's going to take me a long time. For me, it's like open heart surgery on a turntable. And I'm always worried about potentially breaking the pins or breaking the, the fly leads that come off the tone arm. And then... Also, then I have the anxiety at the other end of like, once I've aligned it, or I think I've aligned it, do I, do I, have I got it aligned properly? Like, mm. how do I know? Like, what kind of testing should I do to verify that? So I normally phone a friend. That friend is usually Frank Schroeder, which is, I'm very lucky to have Frank in this city in Berlin <laughs> nearby to help me do that. Yeah. But, you know, the next time he comes over, I did say to him, look, this is a service. I need to pay you for your time. So he was like, yeah, cool. That's very nice of you. So next time I'm going to pay him to do it. Mm. But it's just for me, and this is not obviously specific to Autophone cartridges, it's just generally. But had the the 2M Black been already fitted to a a head shell that I could screw on to an S-bend or S-shaped tone arm, I would never have had to phone Frank. I just would have just screwed it on and set the tracking force and maybe adjusted the VTA. And I would have... Yeah, I guess gone on happily. Maybe the cartridge might not have been aligned perfectly according to Frank's standards. I don't mm. know. But it would it would have given me an easier start or an easy it would have removed some anxiety from the situation. So to get to the to my point here, so what Autophon have announced this week is they're now going to be selling the 2M red, blue, bronze, black, and a couple of others pre-mounted to their own, I think it's the SH4 headshell. I don't think the head shell type really matters that much unless you're a, especially at this sort of like the 2M red and 2M blue level. Um, unless, you, yeah, unless you're kind of an, a, a really sort of anal retentive vinyl person, the type of head shell isn't really going to trouble you. So 
Not that there's anything wrong with the SH4 that I know about. I don't even know why I'm talking about it, why I'm making a big deal about it. But anyway, so <laughs> you can now buy these cartridges pre-mounted to these head shells, which is great if you own like a Technics turntable. I'll say it again, Technics. <laughs> or if you own one of those entry-level Audio Technicas or the Pioneer PLX500 or 1000. You know, the whole bunch of them with the S-Ben tone arm. Some of them come out of the handpin factory in China. Remember that. We'll come back to that later. Mm. But you know, like there are lots of tables, especially at the entry level, that have those sort of, let's call them Technics, Technics styled tone arms that you can just screw off your existing cartridge and head shell and screw on one of the new ones. And like I say, all you have to do is set the tracking force and the VTA. And I think it makes the the, the swapperoo of cartridges, I think it just makes it easier and therefore more fun for more people because I'm sorry. I know I, I'm, I'm not trying to, I always feel like I'm hanging shit on Rega or Riga or however you say that <laughs> on, on this podcast, because I, you know, I'm, I previously complained about how you have to lift the platter off the table to change the speed. And now I'm saying, okay, to change the cartridge on a Rega tone arm is not as easy as screw on screw off. And I'm sure there are very decent or very strong audible or engineering arguments as to why, a regular tone arm might be better than, say, uh, an S-Ben tone arm. But just from a sh sheer sort of experiment factor, they're not really as yeah experiment-friendly as an S-Bend screw-on, screw-off tone arm. And I think it's great that Autophon have embraced this with their 2M series. God, I, I made that really long-winded, didn't I? But anyway, <laughs> good, good God. Well, yeah, there's some, yeah, and there are, of course, there are a number of even high-end tone arms that use that same screw-on type mm. cartridge. I, and yeah, I mean, to my mind, it certainly makes changing cartridges easier and less hair-raising. Yes, because I always just feel like I have my stomach in my mouth. Every time I'm just trying to get the tweezers and put the pins on the back of the car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but just uh, as an aside, I used uh, Ortofon 2M Black for as part of these uh, phono stage reviews. I mean, that was my go-to cartridge, and mm -hmm. part because it's such a it's been around a long time. It's a classic design. It's been reviewed up the wazoo. So it's a known commodity. You know? It's a standard really, isn't it? It's it's a known standard about, what is it? $700, $800, maybe $900. I'm not sure really of the pricing Gosh. of that right now. Uh, I'll look it up. Um, and I love the cartridge too. I mean, that yeah. always helps. I yeah. like it sometimes. And other times I find it a bit, <laughs> a bit dull. I, I, huh. and, and again, you know, this is the thing. This and this is not the case on the Rega Planar Eight, which I have, mm. and Frank fitted the two in black to that, and it sounds fantastic. But on other uh, tone arms or tables, I have found it actually on a Technics. I didn't like it on a Technics so much, mm. and it could be that the the alignment was off. It could be, could be. So this is the thing, right? If you do your own alignment, it, it's possible that you're going to blame the cartridge when it's actually your alignment that's a, a yeah that's that's faulty or is not mm. quite right so you're going to get frustrated with the cartridge when you really should be looking at your own in my case lack of turntable setup skills but you know it could be but, the phone stage <laughs> it could be yeah blame, blame everyone but yourself that's the audio far way isn't it 695 by the way for the 2m black Okay. Okay. Actually, do you know what? Let's let's bump straight into my second news item because it yeah. is. You, I'll, I'll 
it'll become obvious as to why, because it concerns Riga or Riga. I, I just don't, Australians say God, Riga. you're messing with the pronunciation. You're, I'm, I don't I know, know how to say anything now. <laughs> I know, but Australians say Riga. So I've started saying Riga, almost like Reagan, but I'm pretty sure Brits say Riga, but whatever it is. Hmm. So as I've just said, I own a Planar 8 and I think it's fantastic. And at the Bristol show this year, Riga, Riga, announced a white version because the standard version is black, but they announced a white version. And I got to say, it looks bloody amazing. And I, part of me thinks, God, I wish I had the white one. But I don't know whether that's mm. the case. If, if I actually owned the white one right now and I saw the black one, the black one was new, would I be, oh my God, <laughs> I want the black one. But... I do have a bit of a thing for white hi-fi products and always have. I mean, I think hmm. I've been writing about white hi-fi products and, and calling that out as a special feature for at least 10 years on and off. So a shout out to, to Riga, Riga for making a white version of their Planar 8. I think they might have done the Planar 10 and also the Planar 6 as well. I think they've done three white turntables. So I mentioned this so people don't think I've got it in for this British turntable manufacturer when I just don't. It's just that I'm not a fan of having to lift the platter after to change the speed, hmm. you know, the playback speed to go from 35 to 40, 35 to go from 33 to 45 and back again. Yeah, so see, that was a negative review, wasn't it? <laughs> that was, yes, it was a negative review. Yes. We, yes. I really tore into the, the turntable there. We'll come back to that as well, right? Being critical of things. I think that's, yeah, that's the point. Being critical of things or, you know, not not appraising everything with a, a sort of, I don't know what the word is really. Is, is it... I don't know. Let me think about that. We'll come back to it. Let's, yeah, let's we'll go. get there. Yeah. We'll, we'll get there. Let's go to your next news item, Michael. All right. So my next news item is uh, a new DAC uh, that can also function as a preamp from Ferrum, I believe mm. it's pronounced. It is Ferrum, yes. Yes. I have no variations for you on that one. <laughs> Based in Poland, um, the DAC is called the Wandla, W-A-N-D-L-A. -A, and mm -hmm. gosh, it's uh, I can't recall what that uh, translates into. Anyway, um, so one of the interesting um, things about this DAC is they have teamed up with HQ Player. Mm -hmm. And for those people who don't know, HQ Player is a software that has, gosh, just endless amounts of uh, digital filter options that can sit. It's, so, it's a software-based product. Mm -hmm. um, that you can use pr before sending data to your DAC. So they've mm. teamed up with HQ Player, who have created a bunch of custom filters, digital filters, for the ESS DAC chip used in mm -hmm. the Wand. Mm. And the fun part about it is I, when, it's, when it first comes out, which is now, I, I believe there's a total of seven filters, but they will be whittled down to a few favorites by the Ferrum user community. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't kind of I don't it's it's an interesting idea. It's also just by its very nature skips right by people who say digital filters don't really sound different. <laughs> you know, Do you know, I'm actually, I, I might be one of those people. They do sound different, but to me, they're, it's just like 
seasoning on a dish. So it's how much pepper you put on a dish or how much mm. salt you put on there. So color me as one of those people like who I don't, I tend not to mess around with digital filters too much anymore. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've certainly had my fair share of decks come through here that have um, options, typically, mm. you know, two or three. Um, and I find my favorite and that's that. It's right. Easy, quick thing. I mean, the one nice thing about options is that's what they are. Options. Yeah, I mean, you know, so I can prefer filter A. Someone else might prefer filter B, mm -hmm. but they're both available. <laughs> so, well, that is true. Yes. But okay. I think the way I look at filters is the way I look at, say, high res playback bit perfect it's like it's the mm. very skinny end of the playback wedge and i know the audio files love to kind of blow that up and i don't mean blow it up to just, just destroy it or blow it out of the water i mean magnify it magnify it and mm. talk about how it makes a night and day difference right and yeah. i'm like well no if you put it into context of everything else not really and i'm not i'm not trying to piss on ferrum's parade here at all because i think it's great that they are making the product development process community driven. I think that mm. is definitely the future of the way that a lot of these mm. sort of more boutique manufacturers will and possibly should operate is yeah. to really engage their customer base. So I think it's brilliant that they've done that. Yeah. And this, I should have mentioned up front, this is their flagship deck. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, you know, having these kind of, um, well, custom HQ player, yeah, just those words, custom filters by HQ player are certainly going to light some people up, you know, because HQ yes. players, I yes. would say very um, well respected, I'd say rightfully so, um, for their filter prowess. <laughs> Well, I guess uh, they are. Yeah. You're right. Yes, yes. And yeah. um, just to finish it off, uh, it's the MSRP on the Furum Wandla is two thousand seven hundred ninety-five. Mm -hmm. So, in the grand scheme of hi-fi things, that's not a big number for a flagship product. Right. I guess. Yeah. I guess not. But I mean, it's yeah. I, I guess it's. My interest in DAX has really, sort of, as you know, has tailed off a lot in the last couple of years. Has waned, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really, it really has. I mean, but that doesn't mean that, that they, they're, they're not any good anymore. Of course it doesn't. That would be preposterous. It's just that mm. it's my own personal sort of way of looking at things. And I think the more options, the better. As you know, as long as it's not, I don't know, like, are there too many DAX available? Uh, I don't know. Like, it's a good question, isn't it? Because... You'd have to you have to be very very competitive, or you have to have an angle to compete with some of the more established names. So if you've got the HQ filter options available, that's one way of separating yourself apart from everybody yeah. else, right? Because yes. most companies are now just using either. Well, I don't want to. Yeah, see, I don't want to debase these designs down to DAC chips. Because people oh. love doing that. They kind of go, well, it's got an ESS DAC in it, and it really should have this kind of DAC chip in it, which is such a – got to say, it's a stupid thing to say. Because – well, no, no, sorry. It's an ignorant thing to say. I shouldn't say mm. stupid. It's ignorant. Mm. It's, a, it's a lack of awareness that basically the, the input stage of a DAC also affects its sound, as does the power supply, as does the analog output stage, which is a huge factor in yes. the, the sound of a DAC. But people love to focus on – the chips because they can be enumerated, right? You've got a manufacturer and a model. 
Whereas there is no manufacturer or a set number of manufacturers for the output stage or the power supply or the input stage. So you don't hear people saying, oh, it's got like, I don't know, I don't know, this kind of input stage and it really should have that brand of input stage because hi-fi manufacturers, DAC manufacturers don't talk about the branding of an input stage because there isn't one, right? So yeah. I think it's just people focusing too much on what they recognize in terms of names, which is, I guess, a bit like going, well, I'm more of a Nike guy than an Adidas guy. Did I say that right? Adidas? When I was a kid, I used to say Adidas. <laughs> and used to, when I was a kid, I used to say Nike as well. Okay, Having oh, wow. lived, I don't know. I've lived in like three or four different countries now. Yes. I don't know. I don't know which way is up when it comes to pronunciation. <laughs> I guess it's really messing with you. Yeah. <laughs> See, I lived. I've lived in New Jersey my entire life, so I, for the most part, life actually. is simple, right? Yeah. So, so I mispronounce everything, but the same way. <laughs> so yeah, the consistency. Consistent, is yes. Important, yeah. So Dr. Wandler, spelt W-A-N-D-L-E-R, is the German term for DAC. Digital audio to con converter. Ah, okay. So I, I'd imagine that Vandler is the is a is a uh, sort of a play yes. on converter. That's it. That is absolutely the case. Yes. But I know that the the main chap behind Ferrum is also, as I am, learning German. So whenever we see each ah. other, we have we have a little conversation in German, and oh, it's nice, super yeah. awkward, right? Like as in <laughs> super awkward in that we we degenerate into sort of like a a conversation that two five year olds might have. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like we talk about the weather and how you, busy it is. And you just, ask each other where the bathroom is. It is that kind of level because that's my level, right? Which is why I don't like speaking German to to say somebody who is yeah, a native speaker because I sound like a six-year-old, a seven-year-old. And it's, it's really humiliating. <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, basically what I'm saying is, is languages have messed up my life. Hmm. Mm. Before I forget, Michael, we had a complaint. Okay. We had a, we had a complaint from, I think it was one of your Twitter, no, one of your Instagram followers who'd listened to our last podcast and said that he was very disappointed that there were no short jokes made, as in <laughs> me taking the piss out of your height, right? But, and I don't think you've seen this, but somebody on my Patreon uh, posted a link to a resident advisor article, so it's like an electronic music publication, an article about a boat here in Berlin that's been converted into a club, essentially, a club mm. or a venue, right? And they said, like, you know, John, you should go and check this out. And I watched, I watched the video and I've replied by saying, well, look, it's not really my kind of thing because the ceilings inside that boat are super low. They're below two meters. But I, I did follow that up by saying, but yeah, I think Livonia would be just fine in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it works fine for me. Even if I decide to jump up and down, there's plenty of headroom. Plenty of headroom. So anyway, that, there, there we are. I fulfilled my yes. short joke quota for this episode. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> so are we going to talk about negative reviews now? Should we do that? Sure. Okay. So this comes up an awful lot, doesn't it? Like either from mm. commenters, other reviewers, just generally people who want to just, well, usually they're poking at reviewers. Like, I don't think you're credible because you don't criticize any products. Yeah. And it's such, again, it's an ignorant argument as in that person is not aware as to how a publication or an individual reviewer might work. They haven't yeah. done the work, right? And yeah. the, for me, the first point of ignorance is that I think 
if you're following a writer or a YouTuber or, or anybody covering hi-fi, eventually you're going to find something they don't like. But you have to follow them pretty carefully. So if you just wade on in and read three things and go, oh my God, everything in here is so positive. How come there are no negative reviews? Well, it's because you haven't done the work. It's you haven't done the work to, to find them because they don't crop up very often. But I'm sure, Michael, you've got some thoughts on why they don't crop up very often. I've got, boy, do I have a lot of thoughts on this subject. <laughs> right. I mean, first I would start by saying it's kind of like the Area 51 of hi-fi subjects. It really is. It's, it is the favorite conspiracy theory, isn't it? It it's is. It's like it's basically reviewers are in manufacturers' pockets. And in fact, sorry, I'm, oh, I, I know I've asked yeah. you a question, right? But this came up <laughs> because we were, we were talking on the phone yesterday and I said I'd read an article and about the hi-fi industry about how, and I'm not even going to mention the author's name because I'm not going to mm. give him any oxygen, but he was basically saying that the entire hi-fi industry works in a way that if a reviewer finds that they don't like a product, they send it back to the manufacturer and they don't write about it, or they don't make a video about it, they don't cover it. And they do that in order to keep, keep the relationship with the manufacturer sweet. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem, and this is a really important point, right? This is probably the most important thing I'll say in this entire podcast, is that the problem with generalizations like that is that if you ask that person to specify, okay, you've generalized, you said that all hi-fi publications, mm-hmm. right? So, okay, name three. Name me three hi-fi publications that do this. Yeah. And they'll come unstuck completely because they can't, because they haven't got the insight as into how those three very specific hi-fi publications work. That's correct. Right, so they're hiding behind a generalization. And a lot of people hide behind generalizations a lot in life. So they'll talk about endemic this and systemic Mm. that. But when you ask them, okay, give me a specific example where this has occurred. Now give me another one and another one, because you should be able to come up with three, right? If it's systemic or endemic. And, yes. and people people just tend to go to pieces because it's easy to say that this generally happens. Now, right. <laughs> as somebody who works in the in the industry and as you do, and as Herb Riker and Steve Guttenberg, who made a video about this topic yesterday, also do, I think all of us have a slightly different take on it. And I don't think that any of us have that situation whereby a manufacturer sends us a product and we go, oh, like, I really don't like this. I'm going to send it back to you and we'll never speak about it again. Because I'm with Herb Riker in that stereophile policy is as soon as it arrives, you're committed to talking about it, no matter how the chips fall, right? That's yes. whether you like it or not, whether you think it's good or bad, you have to write about it. You have to publish your thoughts, right? And Sorry, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm ranting. You'll have to excuse my kind of excitement today. It's just that I had a medical checkup earlier on and it all went really, really well. Ah, so beautiful. after months, months and months of just kind of feeling a bit down and out about my own health, like my blood pressure was good today and my mm. eye has been sorted. So I'm kind of just full of beans. I'm sorry, so I'm just talking a lot. So anyway, Michael, after I cut you off, let me go back to you. Your thoughts on this issue. <laughs> Well, I have, a, I have a few things to say, but I'd like to start in a slightly different gear, mm-hmm. um, and and I'll I'll speak for myself, mm-hmm. which is always a good thing, I think, <laughs> approaching these subjects. Mm. But when I write a review, my goal isn't in the end to determine whether I like a product or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that, to my mind, 
is a byproduct of the process that has much less importance than my ability to describe the sound of a product. And the use experience and what it is like to use, yeah, get hands yeah, on. The, right? yeah, yeah. And, yeah. yeah, and for me, I, we, I'm sure we've touched on this plenty of times, but yeah, the look, the look and feel mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. um, so it's been my experience. I, 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 I won't do the whole story, but years ago, at a Capital Audio Fest, all right, I have to do some of it. I was it was just before the show <laughs> was about to start. I was having a cup of coffee in the lobby and actually looking through the show directory, you know, trying to plan my morning. And I, I was looking down, right? I'm look, I'm reading this, having coffee. And I, as I'm looking down, I see a pair of feet come walk up to me and are, are close to me. Mm. And that, uh, but I just keep reading because no one's speaking. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then sure enough, after a, an uncomfortably long amount of time, this person says, blurts out, why don't you do more negative reviews? Not hello, <laughs> not, you know, hmm. and, you know, his, uh, he was agitated. Let me just say mm -hmm. that. Right. Um, and his point was, we all, everyone knows there are crappy products out there and you need to call out the crap more. That was his point, right? Not yeah, yours. that was his yeah, point. His yeah, assumption yeah. was that while crappy stuff has come through here and mm -hmm. I've reviewed it, I've never once called it crap. The crappy mm -hmm. crap, I've mm -hmm. never called it crap. And I pointed out that he was incorrect in his assumption and that I don't have lots of crappy crap coming through here, which is mm. why he doesn't see me writing about crap. Right. Um, so <clears throat> stepping back to where I started, I think, uh, I th you know, from a consumer perspective, when I'm out there looking for my new DAC, let's say, I'm looking for the one I like the most. That's all there is to it. Right. Mm -hmm. That's my perspective. I when I put together a hi-fi before I was a reviewer, when I would buy hi-fi stuff, I'm looking for the stuff I like. Mm -hmm. And so in the end, it's like, yeah, I like this one better than that one. And in some cases, God, I didn't like that at all. Mm -hmm. But those things, I, that's not what I do as a reviewer. I'm not like looking for the one thing to keep. That's not what I, why I write reviews. I'm writing to, to share how each of these things sound. And yes, different pieces of the same type of equipment can sound different. And I view it as my job as best as I can to describe how things sound. Right, because it's not about you. Right, it's, right, it's, no, it's about the product. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And the people that design these things, I just finished a review of a whole stack of Parasound gear, all of which was designed by John Curl. Mm. So my take on these things, uh, again, has to do with how I communicate how they sound mm -hmm. and my reaction to that sound. But none of those things are, are the Trump or are in any way more important than John Curl and his designs. You know, so I guess what I'm getting at is you could have somebody listen to something from Parasound and they could very well go, oh, that's crap. Because they don't mm. like it. But it's not crap because you don't like it. You know, John Curl knows infinitely more than most people in the universe about this circuit design. 
Um, and, and to suggest that he would design something that is crap is just absolute Area 51 crazy talk. You might not like it. That's fine. But I don't really give a shit whether you like it or not. If you're going to attack the veracity of the design, that's where people overstep their bounds and they think their taste is somehow more important than reality. And the mm -hmm. reality is, re you know, well-designed products might not suit your fancy. That's fine. It does not make them crap. And, and in my experience, to a large extent, that's the nature of this quote-unquote debate. Oh, I heard that. I didn't like it. You reviewed it. You, you said good things about it. So you're lying. And that's really, that was this guy in yeah. uh, us. that was his point of view. And it's just so, it's real. I'm it's sorry. Ignorant. It's, it, 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 it is, and I'm being nice, but yeah. but you know, but I think there are a couple of things in play here. That I mean, we know that there is a conspiracy theory mindset out there among certain areas of readership, viewership, hi-fi yeah. people, and I don't know really where that comes from. I don't know whether it's an American thing predominantly, or mm. maybe it's a way to excuse one's own bad decisions right if you buy something you don't like it well obviously you know the, the industry is out to get me and squeeze mm. some money out of me and more for me and i better be aware next time but i just don't see it that way at all and there aren't that many crap things but if i was going to call something out and criticize it and i'm actually doing it this very week and i had to, i had to make sure that i had boots of concrete on mm. so essentially make a case that was irrefutable, which I did, I think. And I've done it in the past about, uh, what is it called? DTS PlayFi. And how I yes. talked about how it's not gapless. And I demonstrated it in a video. Hmm. Because if I'm going to criticize something, what I'm effectively saying is, is that I know better than the person who designed it. Yes. Now, that's a very bold position to take. Yeah. And if you're in the business of like talking about the output impedance of something or the power output or the choice of DAC chip, and you say, well, it's this is not a good choice of DAC chip or that output impedance is 300 ohms too high, hmm. what you're effectively saying is, is that you know more than the person who designed it. Because what you haven't taken into account is also price compromises because everything is built to a price hmm. so everything is inherently compromised so the designer might thought well okay i'm going to tackle this thing over here and then the output impedance well it's just going to fall as hmm. it may and that's hmm. the way it goes right but then somebody wades in and sees that and goes oh this designer doesn't know what he's doing as if they you know at home the average cons consumer making that call knows any better which yes. i I've got to say it's arrogant. It's supreme mm -hmm. arrogance. So what we've got is we've got conspiracy theory thinking <laughs> based upon ignorance and then assertions made based upon arrogance. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's a deadly mix. And all of this feeds into the, the whole idea of like, how come there are no more negative reviews, which is mm -hmm. just bullshit. And I can think of three that I've seen in the last year alone. I can think of four that I've made myself separate to those three. So... If you think there are no negative reviews reviews everywhere or anywhere, then I just I'm sorry I don't think you're paying enough attention. I, I just think you're just dipping your toe in here and there and going, well everything's so peachy and shiny. Now I do understand maybe where this comes from because you, when you have like a, a, a when you read a collection of reviews and everything is just so 
effusively positive, mm-hmm. then I think that can put people's backs up. And I think that does feed into this sort of conspiracy theory mindset, you know, like, oh, this this reviewer is only saying that because he wants to get more product out of the manufacturer. Oh god. I'm gonna pop that bubble right there because <laughs> because any given reviewer, right, can will have time for, let me let me think, maximum 50 or 60 products per year to review, right? Yeah. And there are literally hundreds, maybe even thousands that come out each year. So if a manufacturer shutters its doors to you and doesn't want to talk to you anymore, you've got loads of alternatives to pick from. So it's not like you need that relationship. And you also get people who say, well, you know, obviously he's only saying that because he wants to maintain his advertising client. But Mm. again, it's the same thing. Like I've got people knocking down my door. I'm not trying to be arrogant here, but I do, who want to advertise on my website. And I turn them down and say, I'm sorry, I'd love to take you, but I'm full because I only take a set number of people Mm -hmm. per year because I just, I guess I'm not greedy, but I only want to have the clients whose products who, who make products that I, I like, that I enjoy, that I know that I, you know, I like in some way. So it, very often people like to say, oh, well, it's, you know, it's the advertising dollars talking in that review. Well, actually, it's for me, it's the other way around. It's my review that then directs me towards that manufacturer and go, hey, I love what you've done here. Will mm-hmm. you consider supporting me by buying an ad? And I don't do this with just any manufacturer or every manufacturer. In fact, the list is becoming shorter and shorter as I go on. Because I just I just need a few and that's it. Yeah. And, and so I just again, if you don't know that, you're just going to come at this from a point of ignorance. It's not your fault necessarily, but generally, if I don't know something, I try not to make assumptions about the way shit works. So when I see an article on the net mm. that says the entire hi-fi industry works this way, <laughs> I get a bit agitated because I'm like, that's fucking horseshit. I'm sorry to swear, but it is absolutely outrageous. And ha- I'll go one step further. Mm. Had that writer named, like, as I said at the, the start, like, mm. well, give me three examples. Had they named three examples, they would have been sued out of existence because then you've got something concrete to go on. So again, hiding behind a generalization is just a coward's way out. Just, just name them or shut up. Because you, mm-hmm. you, you, you've got nothing, it makes it sound like you've got something. And to the casual reader, it looks like you're onto something, but you're not. It's, it's, a, it's just a trick of language. Yeah, it, yeah, I get, it absolutely is. And I always tend to, to find when people accuse me of behavior that is very foreign <laughs> To anything I would ever do, hmm. it typically indicates that the accuser um, is accusing me of behavior they themselves would be highly likely to do if they were in my position. Me, right, so, so, I so they're, guess project- they're projecting. They're projecting. Yes. Yeah. 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 So it's like that, you know, so, and perhaps an example, you know, or w- one common accusation is, um, it has to do with how we obtain, how we buy gear. Hmm. Anybody, we could even stick with the negative review thing. Um, you know, people accuse, it's like, oh, you, you know, you just never do a negative review because you want to have these relations. So you get more and more stuff. And that's what mm-hmm. these people must be thinking if they were in this position. Oh gosh, I, I I want to get more and more stuff, so I have to be nice to everybody. 
And it's just, it, it's just so um, misguided. It's naive. It's naive, and that's being really polite, isn't it? It's super. Yeah, naive. it is. It's delusional. Yeah. It's it's <laughs> ignorance. It's yeah. all of these things. And yeah. I will say, back in the land of facts, that I did work for um, Stereophile, the parent company, and I also wrote reviews for Stereophile. Mm-hmm. And while I was there, it was absolutely the policy that whatever came through your door, you reviewed, good, bad, or indifferent. Mm-hmm. And I. Um, that's my policy. I've continued that here at uh, Twittering Machines. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I mean, I just got a Sony Walkman in, right? Mm-hmm. And I recorded a podcast about three weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago with, with I almost couldn't say his name there, with Srajan. And I really taught that Walkman a new one in terms of its sound quality. Mm-hmm. And there's a video coming about it. Uh, which is probably a little bit more tempered. And you'll see why in the video, Mm. because there have been some subsequent developments. But but generally, at the outset, I really did not like the sound of that product. And I said so, Mm -hmm. right? And it's just like, you do get these things every now and again. But as I said in that podcast, it's not even live. Well, it probably will be by the time this podcast goes out, because I'm going to push go on it tomorrow. But Basically, there's no such thing as a bad product. There isn't a bad product. It's just a bad price. And I said that about the Sony. I said, like, it's a $400 DAP. And if it were $200, I'd be okay with it. But it's not. Mm. It's $400. Mm. So, and this is an old advertising adage. Because if, let's let's try and think of a product that, well, let's take a a DTS PlayFi streamer, for example. Let's say there's a a standalone streamer that's got PlayFi in it, which I personally don't like, and for reasons that I've explained very carefully in the past. But if if a standalone streamer came out and it was a thousand euros, I'd be like, well, no, this is a bad price for what this thing does. Mm-hmm. But if it was a hundred bucks, I'd be like, oh, okay, that's you know, <laughs> right. if you can put up a gapless, then fine, like fill your boots. Yeah. So my attitude would change depending upon the price. So it's just the fact that it's priced poorly according to the the quality that we're getting. Yeah, I will say, it's funny, I mean, this subject did come up within the last couple of months. Um, I actually was in the company of Herb and Steve and Mm. a few other friends in the industry. And um, this uh, this, uh, bad review thing came up and I mentioned, one, I, it's not. I'm a, I don't want to get into it. I had written a review at AudioStream. Unfortunately, it's not available. But um, mm. of a product that, if it was free, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> and I said right. so. And I had completely forgotten about a similar take I had on on a, a speaker when I was reviewing for Six Moons. Mm. And I absolutely just couldn't recommend anyone. Uh, buying this particular speaker. And I Mm. said so, plain and simple. And it's funny, two things are funny about that to me anyway. One was I completely forgot about that review uh, at Six Moons because you know what? Shitty products don't really stick in my mind. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And they're such the exception. Um, Those two are the only that come to only two that come to mind. And I've been doing Mm. this for what, 10 plus years or so anyway. But if I point people, you know, who accuse me of never writing a negative review to the, like the six moons or the other, there'll still be some, oh, but you wrote that when you were, you know, 
working for somebody else, you don't have to worry about advertising. Now you have to worry about advertising. So you don't, you know, uh, there'll always uh, be some like angle yeah. that they'll want to re readjust to yeah, some position they'll want to take. Yeah, I get it. Like whatever yeah. you say, you're never going to make those people happy. That's true. I mean, yes. And in fact, I mean, it's, pointless, it's kind of pointless us having this conversation then, isn't it really? Well, yeah, because we all know the alien ships are stored in Area 51 and, mm. you know, when the government's been lying to us the entire time and nobody went to the moon. That was the movie oh, yeah. set. And yeah, it fits to my mind. That's all <laughs> of a kind. It really does. <laughs> it really does. Yeah. I guess if if you if you really want to criticize a product and say, and I have seen people do this on the net, and I'm talking about like pseudo professional reviewers say this is a failed product or this thing should not be available for sale. Mm. I always think, okay, well, and tell me, would you say that if the product cost a dollar? Mm. Because if you wouldn't, like, if it was a pair of headphones that had, I don't know, a weird bump at a certain point mm. in the frequency response, would you still say that it was a failed product if it cost a dollar? Because if the answer is no, then it's just it's just a pricing issue. Yeah. Yeah, it, I think a lot of it comes down to pricing. This is why I say there's no such thing as a bad product, only a bad price. Hmm. And I, I do wonder how much of it is just about value perception. But I guess, yeah, I don't know. I think we've, well, I feel like I've driven this topic into the ground, Michael. I'm so sorry, but um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's fine. yeah, maybe yeah, we should move I, on. I, I think it's a, it's, you know, it's been around so long. It's a tired subject. And unfortunately, I think to your point, no matter what is ever said and presented as fact, mm. uh, people who believe in these conspiracy theories uh, will never be convinced otherwise. I think my advice to people is if you see somebody making a sweeping generalization, ask them to give you three examples, three mm. specific examples. Yeah. And let's let's see what they come up with then. And I'm not just talking about hi-fi, I'm talking about anything in life. Like if you said like all restaurants in all burger restaurants in Berlin are terrible. Okay. <laughs> give me three specific examples of bad burgers you've had in this city. And then maybe we can we can go from there and see if you've got a point. Mm. Right. But if you can't specify Please shut up because you're just hiding behind the generalization. Mm. Anyway, let's move on because yeah. I think we, sh we should talk about a different topic. Um, another, another one that's a little bit spicy, and this is to do with products that are made in China. Mm. And this also relates to a video that Steve Gutenberg put out on Instagram about four weeks ago, where he said that he would no longer be stating the country of origin, manufacturer origin, in his videos because whenever he says made in China, it basically brings a lot of negativity to his comment section. And I know what he's talking about because I've seen it as well. But if somebody comes, you know, comes to my comment section with a racist comment, I just delete it. I, I, I'm aware that there are very good reasons not to buy products that are made in China. And I think those reasons are unique to everybody that refuses made in Chinese products. They are personal reasons. They are private reasons. And I don't think we need to dissect them here because they are private. No, sure. And I'm not going to tell you my thoughts on it because I don't really want to get into politics because whenever you get into politics, you always get a few people that want to bark at you about staying in your lane and mm. just, do, you know, just reviewing hi-fi products and staying out of politics. Even though, and I've said this before many times, a fish cannot escape the water it swims in. <laughs> but 
let's just put the reasons to one side because I thought this was a, this was a very interesting topic from a macro perspective, not a micro level, not a specific level. So what I did is I surveyed my YouTube audience and I said, look, and I gave them a leading question. It was a leading question because I really wanted to kind of open the door to anybody that might even think about stepping through it. And it was a simple yes or no. And the, the question was something along the lines of, does Made in China make you think twice about buying a hi-fi product? And I think it was 13,000 people, some enormous number of people that responded. And 32% said, yes, I would think twice about a hi-fi product made in China. So I'm not saying, and I have to say this from the outset, I'm not saying that those 32% are racist. I'm definitely not saying that. But I think it is interesting that people can be so bold as to say, I reject hi-fi, or I would consider rejecting hi-fi that's made in China. When, if, well, if I consider what I have in my house, Michael, like my TV is made in China, so is my electric toothbrush, so is my microwave, so is my fridge. I think my washing machine might be. I've got a couple of lamps in here that are made in China. I've got my Intel knock is made in China. Uh, the screen above my camera, so like the little display screen on my camera is made in China. I've got loads of made in China products here. So if mm. I were to then turn around and say, hey, that hi-fi product made in China, no way I'm going to buy it. Wouldn't that make me a bit of a hypocrite? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a position of convenience more than an argument of substance, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you can... It's easy to reject a, a made in China hi-fi product because you don't really need it, do you? And also there are many alternatives that aren't made in China. But if you're trying to buy an electric toothbrush, it's very hard to buy one that's not made in China. It really, I've, I, you know, not that I've tried, but I've, I do look at the country of origin sometimes. But you and I were talking about this yesterday, and you said it's very often the case that if you do want to buy an, an alternative, that's not made in China. And Hi-Fi is a great example of this, actually, because we were talking about Mission loudspeakers. The Mission 770, which are made in the UK, and the Mission yes, 700, right. which are made in China, right? And the 700 are considerably cheaper because production costs in the UK, labor costs are way higher. So this is a very long-winded way of saying that if you want to avoid made in China, you better get ready to pony up more cash. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, it, I, I'm reminded of, of a company outside of the world of hi fi. And I mm. actually, I'm not sure I remember the exact name, but this is a, a shoe manufacturer, online, mm. online uh, shoe manufacturer, boots. Mm. And the majority of their line is made in China. But they mm -hmm. offer, a few models that are made in the U S and they're uh, probably a third more. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and they explained it on their website. And the reason for this is cost of labor and blah, 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 blah. So there's that, uh, they offer the choice, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's more because it's, you know, again, it's cost of labor, which, yeah. Um, yeah, I try, I, I steer well clear of this, of injecting any of my opinions on this subject mm. because my personal opinions are just that 
they hold the weight of one. <laughs> so right, I, but I, I just I find it very bizarre that people want to express this opinion yes. in a YouTube's comment section and also so vehemently when I, I'm I'm let me put it this way. Hmm. If you're somebody who is like this, who is no way I'm a buying made in China hi-fi, and there is nothing else in your house that is made in China, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear how you did it, like how yeah. you have a TV, or all the sort of modern conveniences without a made in China product. Well, I, that, I really want, that I, could be I, a great I, website. I mean, you know, for these people who, you know, for, who would never, quote unquote, buy, uh, you know, things made in China, I mm. don't think it's all that easy, especially, no. and we, yeah, we did talk about this. And I mean, where do you draw the line? If, if there's something that you uh, are looking to buy and one company has uh, the internals of, let's say it's a USB mic, one of 50% of the internals are made in China. And then mm. another company, only 40% of the internals are made in China. You know, is that like, do you go to that level? You know, or I won't buy anything that has parts in it from China. Good luck with that, you know? <laughs> I mean, right, because even a lot of the stuff that's assembled in the USA, I'm thinking of a certain very well-known uh, DAC and headphone app manufacturer right now who had to change their the terminology on the back of their products now right assembled in the USA. Yes. Actually, I think yes. they say ass in the USA. You know, because some of their resistors come from China. Yeah. So do you, do you not buy that brand's DAC because the resistors come from China? Yeah, it's a, right. It's an interesting question. I, uh, I don't, you know, I don't know the answer from that perspective of, you know, that uh, person who won't touch goods made in China. Yeah, it's. But I just don't know how people sort of square away the double standard. Of like, well, okay, mm. it's okay that my TV comes from China or my <laughs> right. dishwasher, yeah. but not my hi-fi. Never my hi-fi. Yeah. I've got to say, I'm going to. I've used this word before. I'm going to use it again. I think it's a bunch of blowhardery. Mm. It's just people. Well, I there's no way I buy something from China because they want to be that I'm the big I am. Look at me. Look at how I'm <laughs> taking a stand. Yeah, and they're probably sitting on a couch that's made in China. <laughs> and here's the biggest irony, right? Really? They're probably typing that comment on a computer or a phone that was almost certainly made in China, right? Yeah. And if it's not, because I know that Apple and Samsung have moved their production to Taiwan a little bit, to India a little bit. Hmm. Like, is made in India okay? Is made in Taiwan okay? Because hmm. when I was a kid in the 80s, made in Taiwan was the biggest shit ever, right? Made in Taiwan was the joke, like, as in, like, that was the worst thing you could possibly buy. Yeah. But the Taiwanese really upped their game, and now it's seen culturally as something of higher quality. Mm -hmm. But, uh, like I say, I don't want to get into the political arguments, because mm. there are many. But if you want to take that political stand then you're going to have to do it uniformly with your laptops. I don't know I don't know what laptop you would buy <laughs> that's not made in China. No, I idea. really don't. No. I, I think most computers are. So if you want to sort of type away on a YouTube comment section, or, you know, there's no way I'd buy this bit of hi-fi because it's made in China, please tell us what device you type that comment on and where it was made. I'd love to know because mm, yeah. I, ju I just think there's this – Glorious, and I don't mean glorious really, I'm being, I'm being sarcastic, glorious double standard going on amongst that 32% of people who said that there was no way they would buy something from China. It's just, no. Nah. Yeah, I'd love to see, actually, you know, if, yeah, I'd love to see a list of 
we'll just stick with computers um, yeah. that are not made in China. Yeah. I mean, because yeah. I, I really have never, I've never done that kind of research. So I, uh, my, my, you know, my thinking is it, it's probably near impossible, but maybe, you know, I could very well be wrong. I would add one point and I've mm-hmm. not, I've never made a, I've never made an issue of country of origin. I do not do that in my reviews mm-hmm. because again, it's not something that uh, I feel I need to highlight. Mm-hmm. You know, but if someone has these kind of feelings, you know, that, that to my mind, it's up to them to do that research, not me. You know, I mean, it's like because I've seen these comments on Stereophile, on Stereophile's website in the comments section, like, oh, you didn't mention this thing was or, you know, this thing was made in China or you did mention it, but not prominently enough or you didn't point. And it's like, wait a minute, you know, if this is your thing, you're going to have to do some of this work yourself. Right. And it, just because it's important to you doesn't mean it's important to the person doing the coverage. And in fact, yeah. I don't blame I don't blame reviewers and YouTubers for not drawing attention to it because it yeah, it just brings out all the blowhards who just want to who want to score points about how they wouldn't buy it because of that. I mean, there's probably a billion other reasons not to buy something. But you know, it just it just reminds me of my granddad, right, who mm. lived through the Second World War. Mm. And I, yeah, I remember in the eighties when we used to go and visit him, he was dead set serious. He would never buy a new turntable because he was looking for a new turntable. I remember mm. he, he wouldn't buy anything from Germany or anything from Japan. Mm-hmm. He was adamant about it. Like you, you couldn't sway him on it. And I guess it's kind of understandable that he, because he'd lived through the second world war, I'd sort mm-hmm. of understand it with hindsight, but you know, like it was such, even then it was, I realized it was a very, let's call it a niche opinion, an edge case. You know, that wasn't the mainstream opinion on made in Germany or made in Japan. And as we know, 10 years later, made in Japan was, you know, a hallmark of really good quality. But like that Sony Walkman I just mentioned, it's made in China. Mm-hmm. I mean, even though it's a Japanese company, it's made in China. A lot of Technics turntables, te- sorry, Technics turntables are made in, some are made in Malaysia, I think. Some are made in Japan, but it's just, I don't know. It's, I think it's just people who, maybe it's people of a certain age. I, I, I tend to think it might be that, you know, maybe it's just a, a boomer thing, or maybe you just get old enough and you, it's just one thing you can get grumpy about. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, one thing among many, because I know as I'm getting older, I'm finding more and more things to be grumpy about. But you know, I, the thing is, is those things that, make me that grumpy that are I know are unique to me and I I'm not an expert in that field. And this is important. If I'm not an expert in a certain field, I keep my mouth shut. Mm-hmm. I mean I don't I don't really comment on on YouTube videos hardly ever. And if I do, it's always something nice. I've only ever got something nice to say. Because if I don't have anything nice to say, I should really shut my mouth. That's how I was raised. <laughs> yeah, in that context. I, I realize in a professional context like this you know, I can be a little bit bolder because, I, you know, you and I work in, a, in, a, in an industry and we have more of a helicopter view. But if you ask me for an opinion on, on cars, I wouldn't have a clue. And I'd have to sheepishly step back and just let somebody else run the conversation. So I wouldn't go on to, you know, if I was looking to buy a new car and was watching a bunch of YouTube videos, mm. there's no way I'd leave a comment underneath a YouTube video about cars because I, I'd be too embarrassed, too, too ashamed. I'd be too embarrassed or ashamed of myself that I'd let out some kind of 
I don't know, bold proclamation about a certain feature or country of origin of a certain vehicle and then walked away and gone, yeah, that's me done for the evening. That's my comment. That's my <laughs> contribution to the conversation. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. I'd never buy cheese from Lithuania. <laughs> like, <"Huh?" laughs> yeah, you too, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just that it's always comes back to that Bill Burr bit about how social media is just people yelling at each other and no one's listening and yeah. everyone's angry and in, the, in everybody's faces all the time and then yeah. you step out into the street and it's not like that at all and it's not real life so again we're just talking about people not in real life on social media so i guess it's us grumbling as older dudes about people grumbling Okay, so let's talk about a different topic. Let's talk about high-end phono stages. You've you uh. have continued your journey up the price ladder, um, and you you got to what about three grand, something like that? Uh, yeah, thirty-one ninety-nine, I believe. Mm -hmm. Thirty-one ninety-nine with not one but two phono stages at that okay. exact same price. Mm -hmm. One is from Manly Labs, and it's called the Chinook. Mm -hmm which is a, a type of, sa that word has a few meanings, but the reference here is to a type of salmon. Mm -hmm. You know, there are other products are steelhead, you know, fish-inspired names. And right. the uh, Parasound JC3 Plus mm -hmm. phono stage. And these, the JC, these two are the last, and I've, I've now reviewed eight in total, ranging mm -hmm. in price from the shit Manny 2 at 149 is it? Okay. 149 yeah. and now yeah, up, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, up to, let's say, 3,200. Your round okay. numbers. Um, and it was, I really had a blast doing it. Mm. And I really enjoyed uh, these last two more than the others. <laughs> right. <laughs> You know, pr price aside, shopping aside, um, uh, and I have yet to write a. a I'm going to write one more piece that kind of sums everything up, hmm. where I'll talk about my favorites and why they are my favorites. Can I'll I draw you on which one you would? A personal preference, not your reviewer's hat. Just put your reviewer's hat down for a minute and just forget about the differences. But personally, between the Manly and the Parasound, can I draw you on which one you would you would go for yourself in your own hi-fi system? Oh, yeah, the Manly, yeah. Okay, so you prefer the Manly um, for you? I do. And and is that – is because I, mean, I look at them, right – and if I had to pick them on looks alone, yeah. I'd pick them. I'd pick the manly every time, <laughs> because I'm. I've got to say, I'm not a fan of the um, the, the Parasound look. And mm. to to riff on a joke we made a couple of episodes back, I think Parasound need to hire an industrial designer. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, in this case, in this case, um, it's the entire thing. Right. Mm -hmm. It's all of the factors that are that are working together. And perhaps mm. that is something that that these elements come together, the, the, the look of something, the company behind it and how it performs. Mm. Um, 
I don't know, perhaps it's something that does come together with a, a, a more commonly with higher price tags. I don't know. That, that maybe was too far of a stretch. It just struck me, at least in my case, in, in you know, with the, these uh, phonosages I've reviewed. However, mm. you know, that being said, there's a number of others I could easily live with. You know, easily live with. When you get into this comparative listening, sure, mm. you know, you hear differences, but sh- but if you're not doing comparative listening, and most people, you know, just listening to music day to day, um, aren't doing comparative listening. It's not like, you know, the Aurora sound Vita Prima left me cold or, oh, I didn't want to. I completely enjoyed it, you know, and I could easily live with it. That's another product I really liked. Everything about it, the package, the company, the looks, the feel, mm. blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, the manly was rang all my bells. <laughs> okay. You know, one thing I did notice was, so looking at them all, say from cheapest to most expensive, is that the more money you spend, the bigger box you get. Oh, power supplies, yeah. Yeah, well, that's that's. I was about to say that, is that bigger boxes, are, they're not there full of air, they're there to accom- <laughs> accommodate a bigger power supply, right? Yeah. And bigger power supplies or better power supplies tend generally to mean, and this is as true of DAX as it is of phono stages, possibly more with phono stages though, but it it's... A better power supply makes for a better sound, generally speaking, if it's implemented well. I'm not saying that the bigger the power supply, the better the sound. I'm just saying that generally in the main, in most cases. So what you're really buying, I think, or a lot of what you're buying is a better power supply and therefore you need a bigger chassis. Chassis are very expensive, hmm. probably the, the most expensive component that goes into you know those units, I think. Yeah. Yeah, can be absolutely and you know that um well so yeah the the so the 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 shitmany 2 the mofi studio phono two of the lowest priced phono stages both have external wall, wall warts power supplies mm-hmm. and then yeah as you go up and the power supply jumps into the chassis yes the chassis has to be bigger there are tubes in there the chassis mm-hmm. has to be bigger still you know, to not only to accommodate the tubes, deal with heat dissipation and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the Manly just rung my bell. That's all there is to it. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. And I, I do mean, like the looks yeah. of it. And I I really enjoy the company, uh, Eva and Manly. Um, mm. they're, they don't pull punches. Uh, they're, you know, they're, it's a company that's also in the pro audio world. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know the split, you know, the split income level split. Don't know it. Mm. Don't really care. But they, you know, they they do a lot of work in pro audio. And it's a real kind of no nonsense and humorous approach to even their marketing, which I enjoy. I do enjoy a humorous approach to marketing because it can, you know, marketing speak tends to disappear up its own black hole very quickly. Oh, right? gosh, I yeah. Mean, some of the press releases that you and I read are just stultifyingly, I won't say self-important, that's not the right word, but they just, they don't think about the audience when they write those press releases sometimes because it's us, it's people like you and I or people that have to like, so basically turn them into news stories. And when you send out like a document, you have to think about your audience, their time, their attention span. And 
I can think of one British company in particular who writes like four or five page PDF press release. I'm like, ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but like, I know you're detailing everything in your product, but you really should think about who you're talking to. Maybe do a short version and then say at the bottom, like if you want the long version, go here, click this or just get a choice. But yeah, sorry, this again, another sort of, a hot button issue for me. Another grumpy one. <laughs> another grumpy one. Yeah, but I think this is, I think this is fair enough. Actually, this is not. Yeah, it's not press releases written in China. It's it's just I don't know. Yeah, you, you, like everybody has to think about who they're talking to in the audience and you know where where they're coming from. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, so all this to say, if you've got a dose of humor in your press release, it helps the medicine go down, right? It helps the technical nitty gritty yeah i guess it helps me pass it more more readily yeah right? because there's a humanness yeah. there's a, yeah, obviously obviously yes. it's yes. humor it's yes. a humor yeah. and that sometimes that element is lacking in in some of these press releases it's you know some of them can read it's not even like it's a technical issue an issue of the level of technicality in it it's I don't even it's know. The what, formality. It's the yeah, formality. It's the formality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, I realize that, you know, some of these press releases come from very big companies who mm. have big overlord companies, right? So everything has to be super formal. Yes. But I think if you're going to write a super formal press release, keep it short, keep it sweet. Yeah. And then maybe write uh, some some of the best manufacturers, well, or not the best manufacturers, some of the best press release releases that I receive they have a, a bullet point summary at the bottom. So yeah. I know which are the, the important bits. So I don't have to kind of go through five pages of a PDF and go, is this the important bit or is that the important bit, right? Because yeah. obviously to an engineer, everything is important. But you can't feature everything in a in a news item because it just takes too long and then your news item's boring and then you have the same problem again. Yeah, well, so, I, well yeah. and also I've, I want to make an obvious point, but you hmm. uh, write your news stories. You don't republish the press release. It's funny you mentioned that actually. Yeah. Cause I know I, you're right. I don't, I absolutely, I try and write them, hmm. but I'm getting a little bit, hmm, not, it's not that I'm getting over it. It's just, I, I'm, I feel like I've come to the, or coming to the end of how to do it. Well, I don't really know how to keep going and keeping it fresh. Some hmm. people have called me irreverent, which I guess is, I don't know it's a compliment or an insult, but no, I will not bow down to the kind of the, some of the, the guff that gets written. I just will not. But you know, there's a lot of very useful technical information, but what I am going to be doing, and this dovetails very nicely into the next topic, actually, hmm. is that I'm going to be making some changes to the way I deliver news, huh? um, which I only read, well, I've been thinking about it for at least nine months, maybe a year. So when the pandemic started, um, what Olaf and I did is that we made a news video every Friday and the rules were very simple. It's like, we have to be able to shoot it and edit it and publish it within four hours Wow, okay. or, or, or five hours. Right. So I would cycle to his house cause we did them in his kitchen hmm. and he would have the light set up and he would just have a camera fixed on me on a tripod. And I would go through like four or five news stories that week, but then he had to move house for circumstances that I won't go into. So it kind of popped the bubble on that way of doing things because his kitchen and his new house wasn't conducive to that kind of setup 
I don't really have the space to do it here because he had this massive uh, light with a big sort of uh, filter on it. So mm. it kind of, it sort of died a death, but I never really forgot about doing news that way and, you know, just making, basically making one video a week of just a summary of news stories for that week. And the reason I liked it was because when you put it on YouTube, obviously your audience is much larger than it is from a website. So you can just essentially reach more people. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was just a way of getting another video out in the week, which helped mm -hmm. me grow my channel. And it did really well. But I've, I've wanted to kind of almost reboot that idea for, for months and months and months. But because of my health issues, I never really got around to it until today, actually. So mm -hmm. I was, you know, we spoke about the Autophon cartridge thing. It's a very simple news story. I thought, hang on a minute. YouTube shorts are now a thing. They are a minute long. You cannot make a YouTube short. It's like a vertical video on YouTube. Huh. It's a minute long. And what I love about a minute long is it really forces mm. you to make some very tough choices mm. about the words you use. You can't ramble. I can't ramble yeah. those things. Yeah. So I have to get the news out of one story in one minute. So I thought, could I do this autophone story in one minute? So I just mm. did it as an experiment today. It went up today. It's on my YouTube channel right now. It's a YouTube short. Super simple, super basic. So I think what I'm going to try and do moving forward, if I can do it, because I'm actually a lot more comfortable in front of the camera now than I was even mm. three or four months ago. We'll come to why in a minute. Um, that I've got my own camera set up now. Uh, because, well, the why in a minute is now, I really, I suppose, because I spent three months in Portugal. I had no Olaf, so I had to film myself. So at the end of last year, I bought you know a, a tripod, Sony A7S III, hmm. a screen for the top, a decent microphone kit. And I slowly started filming myself here and there, hmm. which is why I was doing those comment response videos. Because as much as they were about responding to comments that um, YouTube viewers had left, but it was also me practicing filming myself because I knew that when I got to Portugal, I was going to have to do it for real and make review videos like that. So I made three or four, maybe five in Portugal review videos where I shot all the talking head stuff myself and the B-roll. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I just thought I basically everything that I've learned in the last six months I brought to bear this morning in, in shooting a very quick video it only took me about, you know, 15, 20 minutes to shoot it because obviously I have to stop and start and redo things and things like that. And it took me longer than I would have liked to have edited it, actually. It took me about two hours to edit it because... I wanted to pull in footage from other videos that I use because I've got loads of cartridge footage, autophone cartridge footage. Oh. So I pulled all that together. But I think what I might start doing is just doing YouTube shorts for news items. Yeah. Mm. Um, because at, at this particular point in time, I don't think anybody else is doing it. And the format seems perfect for that because it's like the Brian Eno idea of less is more or yeah, yeah. the fewer options you have, the better choices you make and the more creative you can be. Mm -hmm. So if I'm forced to distill a product down to whatever I can cram into one minute's worth of words in front of a camera and then edit it crazy tightly, and even mm -hmm. if the edits are a bit herky-jerky, I think that's okay, and put it out there. So I think that's what I'm going to be doing in future because, yeah, I just need to kind of get like the three big talking points and then put those into a YouTube short. Yeah. And then pop that out there. And, and I just want to see how it goes. And I... Yeah. But this all comes on the back of me, yeah, spending time in Portugal having to do all the camera work apart from the color, which all I've did for me still. Um, I had, had to do it all myself. And it really was a baptism of fire. Hmm. Thankfully, I've got a slider, which is like a 
you mount your camera on it and it's got a motor and it moves the camera very slowly. And one thing I learned, which I always suspected, but now I know to be true, is that every shot looks good on a slider. It's, <laughs> it's, I'm lucky. It's kind of easy to make a video with a slider. Um, or rather, it's much easier than the way that Olaf does it here because he was here yesterday filming and like he can do stuff that would take me hours to sort out and get right. So because he's a skilled professional, I'm not. <laughs> right, right, right. But the other thing that I learned in Portugal, and this is where I really wanted to get to with this, was that because I was setting up a new apartment, I knew I had an opportunity to, as I've said in the last episode, build a room from scratch and talk about room acoustics a lot and do measurements with room EQ wizard and a microphone. Now, I really enjoyed that because I found it very insightful and I was very happy that I was able to give viewers some measurement data so that's what some people might call objective data. And I've said before why I don't think it's entirely objective because I had to choose the position of the microphone and then I had to interpret the graphs afterwards to some degree. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's useless. If I go, here's your RT60 graph, and then I shut up, right? Mm -hmm. they go, well, unless I tell you why that's good or bad, you're none the wiser, or most people are none the wiser. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, so like I was doing, a, I've done a lot more measurement stuff than I've ever done before. But the interesting thing about it was in the comment section, the amount of pushback I got against doing measurements. Because I thought against, I thought people would be really, really into it. Mm. And yes, there are people who are super into it. But a lot of people wrote like, oh, these measurements, are, they're okay, John, but they're a bit boring and they're a bit dull. <laughs> and I noticed it in, in the numbers, not in the video numbers, not in the, the number of people that watched the video, because that was really good. Mm. I was very happy with the numbers. Um, per video, the viewership numbers. But in terms of channel growth, subscriber-based growth. <laughs> now, to me, the number of people watching a video is more important than the number of subscribers I have. And I'll explain why very quickly, is if you've got 250,000 subscribers, for example, and you're, let's say you're making three videos a week, but only 2,000 people are watching those videos because you can see it because <laughs> the number's under the video. To me, I don't think that's, you know, basically you're getting 6,000 views per week, right? If you're making three videos at that level. Mm -hmm. But if you've got like the same number of subscribers, you make one video a week and let's say it gets 50,000 views. Well, clearly, <laughs> even though both channels have the same subscriber base, one of them is a lot more active, let's, let's say, than the other in terms of more people are watching the videos, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. Even though the other channel's making more. So for me, mm. I've been very focused on the number of views per video, which is why I put a lot into these videos, mm. why I spent ages with the slider trying to get it right and then shooting and reshooting and reshooting and doing it again until it was kind of okay. But I really thought that the inclusion of <laughs> Room EQ with the graphs and measurements would excite more people than it did and, and not be as sort of a turnoff. Mm. It could be because I grew the, my channel very, well, yeah, very quickly and by a substantial amount at the end of the last year when I did a lot of Bluetooth headphones. Mm -hmm. That pulled in a lot of new people and maybe people like who came and subscribed because of those videos, you know, then woke up and saw that I was doing three months worth of room acoustics videos. We're like, what the hell is this? See you later. I'm out of here. I totally understand that. I really do. Right, right. Just not relevant to their interests at all. Yeah, yeah. and I, I get that. But... I, I guess, but people just leaving comments, you know, saying that, like, I, I'm not really worried about the measurements. I just want to know what you think. This is essentially the, uh, 
the the meat and potatoes of it was a surprise to me. So I, I, it means that I'm going to have to sort of spread out or separate out those videos where I kind of, let's say, because I've got some book art speakers here and they've got a new room correction microphone to be used with them. And I am planning to do a video about Bookart's room correction software. Hmm. Now, had I done that last year, I would have just done the room correction and told you what I thought about the sound. But sort of 2023, John would now do a room EQ measurement before and after, or rather with the room correction on and room correction off to show you the difference, right? Yeah. So because I'm including graphs and because I know that some of my audience are like, oh, we're not so, so into that, I'm going to have to delay that video because I made one last weekend that had that in it. So I'm going to have to do like measurement typey video, then two sort of more normal videos, maybe three, maybe four, and then then do the book art room correction video with the graphs, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because I'm I'm thinking about my audience, right? I'm tailoring what I do to fit where I think they're at, right? Now, mm -hmm. I'm not pandering to them because I have to do what I want to do as well. So it's a matter of like, it's a mixture of like doing what I want to do versus what I think my audience want. And then kind of keeping that tension there. But it's a delicate balance. <laughs> well, it is. I mean, I've said this before, but it's like being a DJ. You play a song that they want, then you play a song that you think they want to hear. Hmm. And you play a song that you know they want, then you play a song that you think they should hear. Right. So it's like, it's a constant to and a fro. And that tension is what keeps people dancing. Hmm. But I know that in the first three months of this, well, not the first one, February, March, and a bit of April, my making these room acoustics videos and with lots of graphs, that was me indulging myself entirely, entirely, because all of my energy was focused on how do I work this fucking camera? <laughs> like, and like, what does the slider do if I bump up the, uh, the speed by three seconds and those yeah. kinds of things. So I was very much immersed in the, in the production side of things and didn't have a lot of mental space for, I guess, doing things, being more creative really, or be, mm. uh, being visually creative. So I wanted to boil things down to bare essentials and yeah, I guess I wanted to do the room acoustic stuff because I was starting again with a new room, but now the room is no longer new and it's established and I've got it sorted and I'm very happy with it. But yeah, I guess I just, am very surprised at the pushback against measurement mm. data. Yeah. Right. It's just weird, but oh, okay. Fair enough. It's what, what people are telling me. I mean, I, I can't really um, argue with that. I, if people don't like it, they don't like it. You know, it's just, I don't know, but I just, I, I'm not going to be sort of super arrogant about it and go, well, you have to like this because it's the objective <laughs> truth. Right. No, I mean, so I need to find a way to condense it a little bit more in each video, basically, and make, maybe make not, not so much of a song and dance about it. Go, here's your graph. This is what I think and move on. So maybe hmm. 30 seconds on that, if I can. Yeah, something that Steve and Herb touched on in that uh, the video we referenced earlier about uh, mm -hmm. Why No Bad Reviews is that, and I believe Steve who highlighted this, but reviews also need to be entertaining. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's that. That is an ingredient, uh, at least for me, that I take care over. And that translates when you're, it's, you know, into, into the writing, right? Into the writing and yep. how things are written, how they read and blah, 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 blah. But I'm sure, you know, 
you know, there's with video, there has to be an entertainment element as well. You know, in so well, I mean, not necessarily, but then you're going to narrow your audience to hardcore if you're going to focus on objective measurements and you don't really care about the quality of the video and there any kind of entertainment value, then you're going to attract the hardcore content only type of viewer, right? Yeah, people who just want the information and nothing yeah. else. Yeah. And to pretend that that's all people want is just, it's a lie. Because, I mean, if you think about somebody like Neil deGrasse Tyson, Yes. Like, why do people like listening and watching him? Because hmm. he's got a personality, because he's entertaining, not just because he knows a lot of stuff. Yeah. It's the same with David Attenborough. Yeah. He's got the right combination of knowledge and ability, ability to convey that knowledge, right? Yes. Stephen Hawking, God bless him, hmm. I don't think was a particularly good communicator or entertainer in the way that Neil deGrasse Tyson is. I know it's, I'm not trying to speak ill of the dead or anything like that, but I'm just saying that there are different presentation styles. And I think most of us are drawn to the smart people who can also be a little bit funny, a little bit irreverent, a little bit, yeah, just a, they have like a bit of a, a nod and a wink to their presentation, right? Yeah. And I, yeah, I this, love that. I, I do as well. And this, I don't know why it's coming to mind. I had a conversation about this recently. Um, but to my mind, Art Dudley was someone who could r write the technical bits of a review with equal mm. flair, ease, and humor as the story parts, if you will, mm. right? And that is, in my experience, a kind of a rare skill. And it gets me to this... Oh, I actually wrote about this in reading. That's what it was. It just seems to me like so, when people understand a subject so thoroughly inside and out, um, it allows them to be a bit looser when talking about it. If you're fuzzy about the real details, I think it leads to kind of uncomfortable and awkward presentation. I've done it myself. If I Me get, too. You know, yes, yes. It, if we and it's it's bit you know in some of these uh, podcasts you know we get to subjects where I'm not on firm ground you can hear I, all of a sudden I'm well there goes the sense of humor out the <laughs> there goes oh I'm being really cautious with my language so um, yes yeah, someone like hmm. yeah I can think of a great example of this in the hi-fi industry somebody who knows his subject matter inside out and therefore can deliver it in a, a supremely entertaining way. And that is Andrew Jones. Yeah. Like he's just, you could just listen to that guy talk for ages because he's not going to be dry and boring when he talks, even if he's talking about impedance, yeah. because he's going to have an interesting way to explain it. Mm -hmm. Right. And I just, I, I really, yeah, I know there are some people who, who are wired in such a way that, all they care about is the facts. Hmm. Now, I'm hmm. not wired that way, and I don't think my audience are, or your audience, or not, or not all of your audience are. Yeah. And so they appreciate the fact that, like, even in these podcasts, we do, I mean, we don't really cover a lot of technical stuff, certainly not today anyway. Yeah. But we're talking about a fairly dry subject matter, right? Like audio hardware, audio reviews. It's pretty dull. And if we were to be just a facts, ma'am, about it, this podcast would be really bloody boring. And there would, would be no jokes about your height, Michael. There wouldn't be any, right? Or about the metric system and the imperial system or any of this, this kind of stuff. You need the push and the pull of presentation styles to 
I guess, help the medicine go down. Yeah. I, I mean, from a purely objective perspective, I am of average height if this were 1812. And in Italy. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't say that because if anybody from Italy is listening, I'm not having a go at you know, your people or anything like that. I'm sorry. It's just because I, the re people should know the reason I make these jokes is not because of any kind of cultural insensitivity on my part. It's because I'm two meters tall. Yeah. And I actually let that slip in a video in when I first got to Portugal. And it was about room acoustics. And people lost their minds about how tall I was, right? That was the number one discussion <laughs> point in the video, even though I'd gone to great lengths to measure the room and the RT60, and I was talking about it with like <laughs> quite a lot of seriousness. Well, I just sl slipped in my height. And people were like, what? He's that tall? Really? Right, because what? you're freakishly tall, right? I mean, I am I'm a freakishly freak. tall, yeah. Uh, Herman Munster tall is what I am, yes. Yeah. Yes, I am. Yeah, without the lifts. I remember the first time we really <laughs> met in person was at a Rocky Mountain Audio Fest. Mm. We met in a hallway, and we were both headed to the PSB room, where, among other things, they had released and they had on display little tiny desktop monitors. Mm -hmm. And they had them on a like a console table. And so we walked in, and Paul Barton came over, Mm. Um, to show, I don't us. remember this, but okay, <laughs> we were standing there, and Paul Barton, you know, was giving us the, you know, the, the rundown, and then he played mm. some music, mm. you know, and it was, you know, it's a bit awkward. It was in the hallway on this little console table, and he was like, "Oh, so, you know, kind of like, what do you think?" And I was like, "Yeah, you know, they sound really, they sound really amazing." And I turned to you and I said, "How do they sound up there?" <laughs> oh, <really? laughs> I couldn't even hear him up there. <laughs> the sound was like hitting your thighs. <laughs> well, it was just the tweeter had rolled off by the point it reached, <laughs> of your reached my ears. Yeah. Just, <laughs> although Paul Barton would say that his off-axis dispersion is very, very good. So maybe that's not the case, you know, because that's yeah, what that's makes true. the speaker sound very natural is the off-axis um, frequency responses it follows the on-axis response, right? So maybe it sounded pretty good. So this is why I'm really yeah. good at testing off-axis response <laughs> on speakers. I just stand in front of one, right? I think, and I ask myself, does it sound the same as if I'm sat in front of it at ear height? Or yeah. maybe I just I ask you to tell me what the ear height <laughs> response sounds like because when you're standing, you're you're right there. Yeah. Well, there are any number of things you're good at, like screwing in light bulbs. I'm sure. I'm really, I'm actually really good at that. Yeah. 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 yeah I'm very good. No. <laughs> anyway, okay. So let's move on to <laughs> let's let's bring this to a close. Let's talk about recommended albums. Um, I do have one, but do you want to go first, Michael? Oh, sure. Yeah, I I have to. I think this is um, this is a rule. I have to mention the new record from Boy Genius. And it oh, is. This is the this is a Phoebe Bridges thing, isn't it? Well, she's part of it. Yes. Yeah, and I it, knew it. <laughs> it is called The Record. Uh-huh. And yeah, the band is uh, Phoebe Bridgers, Julian Baker, and Lucy Dacus. Uh-huh. I've never heard her name pronounced, so I hope that was That sounds her. about right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and each of them are artists I enjoy on their own, and they've certainly got, you know, they, they've got real careers going. As individuals, but they're they seem to be very good friends. And this is the second release in this formation of Boy Genius, the band. 
Mm -hmm. And um, as you might imagine, since I liked them individually, I, I liked them even more altogether. You know, they kind of do take turns. Like one song will feature one vocalist, you know, will feature Phoebe Bridgers more than blah, blah, blah. But it, to my mind, it works really nicely. There's a short film uh, that was uh, directed by the actress Kristen Stewart. Mm-hmm. Um, that's interesting as well. And there's a real camaraderie they display. They're not shy about it. Um, which, again, it's this hu- it's it's humanness and it's humor. Which you know to tie back, blah blah blah. I really it it works for me. Well, I'm glad that we had that segment brought to you by Pitchfork. Um, <laughs> the thing Phoebe, is, you she, you can't escape Phoebe Bridges on Pitchfork. No, no, it's a weekly. I think it's a weekly show right now. Yeah, yeah. I think they've dialed it back of late, but um, yeah. My favorite game on Instagram is to tag you whenever I see a Phoebe Bridges story on Pitchfork. Yeah. Because, oh, by the way, yeah. I'm sorry to jump in, but no, uh, believe it or not, Boy Genius's The Record has been selected by Pitchfork as Best New Music. I have nothing to say about that. With an 8.2 <laughs> score. <laughs> of course it has. Of course it has. Dear, oh dear. What kind of... what? Can you explain to me? Because I don't... Okay, I'm going to let you know something now that you're not going to believe. Mm. I've never, ever heard anything that Phoebe Bridges has ever done. I've got no idea what her music sounds like, let alone Boy Genius's music. So, like, what kind of music is it? It's is it like it, female it, vocal pop? A bit. Like, is it like the indie version? Indie rock. Of, you mean like Taylor Swift? Yes, yes. No. Well, well so let me... Is it, so... You know, it it's much like, more it's, indie. It's like Taylor Swift, right? Oh, more indie. But Taylor Swift calls herself indie. But, well, let me put it this way. Uh, none of these artists are filling stadiums yet. <laughs> so, you know, there's a right, big okay. pop element in Taylor Swift. But, but I will say that Phoebe Bridgers was featured on a Taylor Swift album recently. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Just saying. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, my, my pick is completely different. And predictably, it is electronic music. <laughs> I'm really sorry, but this one just popped up um, on my Rune radio the other day, and I'd forgotten it had come out because mm. I was, yeah, obviously somewhere else. Um, in the 90s, which is where all these stories start with me, 96, <laughs> right? There's a chap called John Beltran, and he released a sort of ambient techno album called 10 Days of Blue. And over the years, it's it's kind of status as a sort of a, a cultural signpost of that particular time with electronic music has grown steadily. Because I don't know whether John Beltran is anywhere near his, his profile is as big as it used to be, but he was invited by the, the people that run the Deck Mantle Festival to perform 10 Days of Blue. I think it was either, hmm. was it last year or the year before? And I, the original 10 Days of Blue album, I, I liked like one or two tracks, but it was always for me very lightweight. It was always kind of, if you know who Jose Padilla was, because I think he died last year, which is very unfortunate, mm-hmm. but that sort of Sunrise Ibiza vibe. So lots of kind of colors, lots of tone colors, very pastoral in places, very few kick drums, mm-hmm. and a very sort of light sounding electronic music album right? Which has become a little bit more in vogue on the back of work of the work done by Sam Barker in the last few years. But 
I did happen to hear 10 Days of Blue recorded live at Deck Mantle um, a couple of years ago. I have heard it yeah, two days ago. And I thought, wow, this is really good. <laughs> because what he, John Beltran has done is he's toughened up the sound. Hmm. And maybe he had to because it was a festival and he wants to get people dancing. Hmm. And that doesn't mean he's pumped in loads of kick drums. It just means all these sort of synth sounds are kind of crunchier and meatier and more robust. So everything sounds just more physical and more present. And I thought, yeah, this is fantastic. I actually like this more than the original. So to to bring it back to where my recommendation goes here, mm. it's the yeah, 10 Days of Blue, live at Deck Mantel. Ah. I'm actually looking at a, a vinyl copy right now because I'm going to buy it when we finish recording because it's going to disappear soon. Yeah. All those albums will disappear. But I would recommend you listen to this. There's very little crowd noise. In fact, most of it's been trimmed out. Hmm. So it's kind of plays like a normal album. It's not continuously mixed, or most of it isn't anyway. But it's just a really lovely sounding record, but very complex in places. Hmm. So yeah, I just think it's a, it's a great record. And I, I'm, I'm glad that Deck Mantel sort of brought John Beltran back to the forefront of people's minds because... Yeah, because he made a great album in the 90s and it's still a great album, but I just think this new version is even better. Nice. Yeah, okay, cool. So let's um, let's call time on this episode, Michael. Thank you very much for chatting at length again today. My pleasure. You have been listening to the Darko Audio Podcast with me, John Darko, and Twittering Machines' is Michael Lavonia. This episode was produced by Nick McCorriston and music came from Ben Pitt.